Well, it might be uh, hard to believe, but this week I had frost on my windshield. <laughs> Some of you could have shown up in shorts tonight, but I think it was Monday I had frost on my windshield, and it was like I, I didn't have time to like do a full-on scrape job, so you know how you like, you're like, the car will warm up, and then it'll get the rest of it off, it'll slowly melt it off. And so I'm driving, and I'm getting to watch it slowly, you know, melt it away and dribble down, and there was a little bit on the inside too, I don't know why that happens, but it was like all melting and as it melted I was able to see more and more and as I thought of it I was like you know that's often kind of what we're like with God of how much we see of him is that we can kind of have a frosted over windshield that impairs our vision that has us only seeing a part of God a part of who he says he is a part of what he said he has he's done for us and we really need the warmth of his love that we hear about in his word and in Christian community. We need that warmth to start to melt away that frost so that we are able to see him for who he truly is. And so my hope for tonight is that we would be able to feel some of that warmth to melt some of the frost off the windshield of how we tend to see God. Uh, sometimes it's just this grumpy person in the sky that's watching out for us to see if we're doing things right. Well, many people will say that all religions teach basically the same thing. Love people. Like, it all comes down to the golden rule, right? Treat others as you would want to be treated. And that would be a pretty good idea. <laughs> if we all know that, I mean, that's what, I don't know how many words it was, six, five, six words, like hardly even a sentence. Is like, if we just all had that engraved on our hearts, put on our doorposts, you know, had little wristbands or something, you know, and it's like, just treat other people how you want to be treated, that would solve all the problems that we have in the world, if only we could do that. And it is a common element in all religions that there's usually something about how you're supposed to treat other people, how you're supposed to love them, take care of them, do unto them as you'd want done unto you. Um, but Christianity is not primarily a religion about how you are to love other people, but it's primarily about how God has loved you. That you could say, yes, maybe they all have that in common, but actually Christianity backs up a step, is that it's not about you needing to go love other people and one that make a great world, but the reality is of how God has loved us first and moved towards us first. It's not how much, uh, and it's actually how much we've been loved is what enables us to love others. We might say, well, you know, love others by itself really like lays down railroad tracks that we're supposed to run on, but doesn't give us the power to do so. Go love other people, lay down these tracks, if everyone could follow these tracks, just follow it. Love other people and everything will be changed. But Christianity actually gives us the power to go down those tracks that we can actually now start loving people. And it starts with God's love for us. Because if those tracks are just laid down, it's only going to condemn us because we're going to say, I see it. It's easy. Love other people. Do to them what I want them to do to me. It makes sense. I've memorized it. But yet I feel like I can't do it. I keep falling back into not loving other people, just thinking about myself and what I would want. And so Christianity is not primarily about good advice or good ideas, but good news about something God has done, which changes everything. And so tonight I want to ask, what's the good news of Christmas? And we have to start with, well, what's happened? The good news of Christmas is, if it's news, it's something that's happened, and what's happened is Jesus is born. But why is this good news? There's lots of Jewish babies born 2,000 years ago. Why this particular Jewish baby in this particular time uh, town this particular time. Why does he matter? And so we're going to answer that question tonight by looking at John uh, 3.16, perhaps the most famous Bible verse in uh, that 
that is known, at least in the Western world. And as we look at it, we're going to look at this good news of Christmas. My hope is that as we look at this verse, it would melt some of that frost that we tend to build up on our windshields and let us see God more clearly. Let the warmth of it melt the frost. And so to understand John 3.16, we need to back up just a little bit to John chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And Jesus is having this conversation with a religious leader, uh, someone known as a Pharisee of that time. And he's come to Jesus at night. Jesus has become popular. He's, got, he's known about him. So he comes to ask Jesus some questions. And so I'm just going to back up to John chapter 3, verses 13. Uh, 13 to 15, and read those for you. No one has descended, uh, uh, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so Jesus says, the Son of Man, referring to himself. This is talking about Jesus. And it answers the question, well, where has he come from? It says he's descended from heaven. Nobody has ascended up to heaven except the one who's already descended from heaven, Jesus himself. And what has he descended from heaven to do? We're told to be lifted up like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And that's kind of, we might be like, huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> Lifting up a snake in the wilderness? Jesus coming from heaven to be lifted up like a snake? This is weird. Uh, but what happened in this story in the Old Testament is that the people of Israel had disobeyed. And so then God brought a consequence on them in the form of these snakes that were saying, look, this is the consequence for turning from me. This is what happens. And then the people are like, God, help us. And then God tells a man named Moses, I want you to make this bronze serpent, this bronze snake, and I want you to hold it up like kind of on a pole. And you hold it up, and everyone who looks on it, like even though they're bit by these poisonous snakes, they will not die. They will not perish. And so Jesus is saying, uh, I'm going to be lifted up like that snake. If they wanted to live, they had to look on what God had provided in order for them to live, even though they should die because of the poison. So God provided a way to live. Jesus must be lifted up. Why? Verse 15, so that whoever would believe in him may have eternal life. And so why has Jesus come from heaven to do this? Like, what, what prompted this? Why is he coming from heaven to be lifted up like this, like this serpent, so people can uh, live? Well, that's where we get into our verse. So we ask the question, why? Verse uh, 16 of John chapter 3 starts with four, or because. Why, did, why is this happening? Because God so loved the world. Because God so loved. And everyone can kind of get on board with that, right? Like a loving God, he's up in heaven, you know, or wherever he is, he's loving us. And of course, that's his job. And so whatever we do, like God loves us. Because, you know, we might think like we're kind of, well, well, why, why wouldn't he love us? Like, we're, you know, we're, we're people. Like, he made us. Why wouldn't he love us? That's God's uh, job. But God's love is unlike any other love. And that's because of who he loves and how he loves. So, so whom does God love? We see in the next part. For God so loved, what did he love? The world. And this isn't just referring to, okay, yeah, the, the globe, you know, the big round rock we're on, or just all the people in the world in general. It's not just a way to say, uh, you know, the world and all the people. But the term world in the Bible, often and especially in uh, the Gospel according to John, is used to describe the world that has turned away from God. It's like the world and all of its systems and how everything's gotten twisted up and how there's hate and injustice and evil in the world. And all that's the world. It's turned from God. And it's become dark and wants to hide from Him and we want to be in charge. That's the world He's talking about. And so it's not just saying God so loved the world, but God so loved 
this whole system, all these people that have turned their back on him and brought all of this sin and evil and injustice and pain and suffering to the world, that's the world we're told that God loves. Humanity in opposition to God, putting ourselves in charge on the throne. So that's who God loves, but how does God love the world? And that's the next part. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so God loves by giving. God's love is expressed by giving. Giving what? He gives his only son, Jesus, the son of God. And remember back up to the verses we looked at before. Where did Jesus came from? come from? Where did the son of God come from? Where we're told he descended from heaven. It wasn't like Jesus was, I don't know, over in North America and he made this trip to Israel and that's where he came from and then he died on the cross for us. It's like, no, Jesus came, he descended from heaven. And if we backed all the way up to the, the verses that uh, um, Connor read for us, that John verses 1, 1 through 3 talk about Jesus, there was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and everything was created through the Word and then later we find out that this Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the only Son of God who's making the one and only God known, that no one has seen the one and only God, the Father, but His Son is making Him known. And so it's like, well, wait a second. Descending from heaven, Jesus was there at the beginning when God was creating everything. Everything was created through Him. Nothing was created that wasn't done through Him. And then He becomes flesh, and so that He would be revealing what God is like to people uh, who would come to know Him. And so this is the Creator descending from heaven into a particular time in history, a particular place, taking on flesh. And this is the Christmas story. The one who created us became part of his creation. The Son of God came from heaven to earth to be a Son of Man. The Son of God came to be a Son of Man, fully God and fully man at the same time. He didn't come into this world as an adult, you know, just like, well, you know, the Son of God's going to come on down, and God, you know, just kind of took him and I just set you there in the wilderness. Nobody saw you saw you come, and now you walk into town as a 30-year-old man. No, he entered the world like all of us enter the world. He grew in his mother's womb. He went into labor. He came out dripping with fluids, with an umbilical cord that needed to be snipped. He was held, nursed, comforted, had his poopy diapers changed. Although, I don't know, maybe perfect babies don't have poopy diapers. I don't know. <laughs> just a theory, and probably not true. But he learned to walk and he learned to talk. The one who created everything became so small, so needy, so vulnerable. God coming into the world as this little baby. And not just came, but given. We're told that God so loved that he gave his only son. What did he give him for? We're told that he gave him so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so Jesus, like the snake in the wilderness, was given so that all who look on him, though they have this poison that were, that were bitten by, this poison of sin, all who look on Jesus now will not perish but have eternal life, even though we've received this terrible uh, mortal wound being bitten by sin. And so Jesus is given to all who look on him so that we could not perish. And if we're not cured by looking to him, we will die. And we're told, Jesus said, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm like, okay, well, the serpent, you know, that was like a bronze serpent lifted up on this pole. When does Jesus get lifted up? Well, we have the, the most you know, famous, uh, the cross by the window, most famous you know, symbol in Christian history for good reason. Because when Jesus is lifted up, he's lifted up on this Roman uh, tool of execution and torture. That he's lifted up so that those who would look on him later would be healed. 
And the crosses, crosses were used, they become a symbol of hope, but crosses were used by the Roman Empire to torture and execute people who had rebelled against the Roman Empire. And then you lift them up, you put them on a hill, some public spot, so that everyone who walks by sees, don't mess with Rome. <laughs> this is what happens if you mess with Rome. And so Jesus was killed as somebody who was a rebel against the kingdom. But then what actually is happening in the, the cosmic you know, in a cosmic way, in a world history way, is that Jesus is actually dying as a rebel against God's kingdom. Even though he'd never rebelled, even though he'd never said no to God, always said yes to God, whatever he asked him to do, Jesus was perfect. And yet he was dying a criminal's death, even though he had broke no laws. And Jesus' death on the cross only becomes personal to us when we see it should have been me on that cross. Because I'm the one who's turned away from God. I'm the one who's said no to what he commands. I'm the one who's said yes to what he forbids. I'm the one that has run away and chased other things that we, the song we just read about we're, we're broken and we have these issues and these struggles and we wander away and we feel like, well, can I really sing these words? Oh, come all ye faithful. Am I one of those faithful people? No, I've been unfaithful. That, I mean, it's just two commands. Jesus breaks it down. He says, well, this, these two commands sum up the whole Bible. Love God. Above all else, with everything you have, love people as, your, as yourself. It's like, if you can keep those two, you're good. But we all know we don't love God above all else. And we, you know, talking about those railroad tracks, it's like, I'm seeing the railroad tracks. I'm supposed to love other people like I, you know, like I want them to love me. But I just can't get very far down those tracks. And so we all should be on that cross. It should have been me. We've rejected him as our king. But Jesus, the Son of God, never did this. And yet, he died anyway. Why? Jesus was lifted up on the cross in our place. So how do we not perish? It's because he perished in our place. And this isn't just anybody dying for us. This is God himself dying for us. God coming to the earth in the person of Jesus, in the flesh, dying for us in our place. And it's God saying to us, you've turned from me. You've rejected me. You've disobeyed me. You thought you'd do a better job of being God than me, and for this you've earned death. And that is what you will have unless you let me die for you. I mean, isn't that, it's like, I can't, like even saying these words, it's like, I can't even fathom it, that God himself is saying, what you've done earns you death, and that's what you'll get, unless you let me die for you. I love you. I'll take your place if you let me. And that's the only way out, that God himself is coming and saying this to us. I want to share this quote, one of my favorite quotes. It says this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. But really, if you sum that all up, it's that God is self-sacrificing in his love. It's a God's love is a self-sacrificing love. That the Son of God left his home to give us one. The Son of God died to give us life. The Son of God gave up his glory to give us glory. The Son of God served our sentence to release us from it. The Son of God paid our ransom to set us free. The Son of God descended from heaven to enter our hell to give us heaven. It's self-sacrificing. The Son of God was sent from the Father's side 
so that he may now bring us to the Father's side with him. Jesus says, John 14, 6, famous passage, uh, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And just a little bit before that, um, his disciples were asking, where are you going? Like, what, he's, Jesus is ta talking to them. This is like his last lessons, his last conversations with them, saying, I'm going somewhere, you can't follow me. And they're like, well, we'll follow you anyway. He's going to die in a couple hours on a cross for them. And he's like, you can't follow me, but I am going ahead of you to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. And so Jesus leaves the Father's house in heaven so he can die for us and so he can go back and prepare a place for us and then bring us there with him. So my question for you tonight is, are you looking to Jesus? We're told just as Jesus... Just as the snake was lifted up so people wouldn't perish, Jesus is lifted up so that we may not perish. So are you looking to him? And do you see that he took your place, that he wasn't just born but given, born to take what only you deserve so that we can get what only he deserves? And this week, when I was preparing this message, the, what came to mind is the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the old version super old version. You know like the claymation, like where they're just moving the parts and taking pictures and stuff? That's the classic one. You got Rudolph, you got Yukon Cornelius. I think I'm going to name my third son that. Um, <laughs> although I should have missed out. I should, why didn't I think of it until now? Um, and then we have Hermie the Elf. And they're wandering around trying, I can't actually remember where they're getting to. The only scene I looked up to remind myself of was when they find the island of misfit toys. And they come to this island, there's all these toys. Uh, and there's like a guy, there's like a Jack in the Box, but he's like like Bob in the Box or something. Who wants Bob in the Box? Everyone's, I can't remember if Bob was the name, but he's like, I'm going to name the wrong thing. You think that'd be an easy name switch, but um, he's like, nobody wants a Bob in the Box. Um, they want Jack in the Boxes. And there's all these misfit toys that nobody wants because they're broken. And they're, they like sing this heartbreaking song. They tell this heartbreaking story. They're like, who would want us? Everyone wants these kinds of toys. And they're just waiting for a little girl or a little boy that will, will want them. And when you look around at who Jesus hung around with, the kinds of people he hung around with, it was like a little band of misfit toys. Like, you've got some fishermen. You've got a tax collector who everyone hated because he just wanted to get rich off his own people. You've got a zealot who was basically like somebody who was trying to do guerrilla warfare on the Roman Empire. And you've just, where did all these guys come from? Like, how do you even pick these guys? It's this little group of misfit toys. And for each one, you could ask, why is he there? And really, the only answer is that because Jesus wanted them there. That Jesus came for the weak, the unwanted, the unnoticed, the unimpressive, the imperfect, the screw-ups. And you might look at yourself and think, who would ever want me? Why? I'm just this misfit, misfit, I'm messed up, I'm broken. And the reality is that God does. God wants you. Jesus came for you, he came for me, and that's the good news of Christmas, that Jesus was sent from heaven and was born to die for you, for me, for all of us, in our place. And he drank the poison so we wouldn't have to. And now all we must say is yes to him. Yes, I will let you die for me in my place. Either he drinks the poison or we do. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's even beyond us to, to grasp what we try to celebrate on Christmas, that you sent your Son, you came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, not to become super popular, not to 
become this traveling person that just everyone knew and there'd be statues built, but he came to die. To die for us, a death only we deserve because we've taken your place. And now you warm our hearts by showing you'll take our place that we can be forgiven and set free. So God, would you help us to celebrate that tonight and tomorrow during our time together here and with our families. Lord, would you fill our hearts with the joy of this news. In your son's name we pray. Amen.